Presidents Dwight Eisenhower, 1890-1969 From the start, William F. Buckley Jr. and National Review exhibited an oppositional temperament as captured in the magazine's opening declaration that it stands athwart history yelling stop. But it was also clear from the outset that those whom WFB intended to stop were not just liberals, but their handmaidens in the Republican Party, the rhinos of the day, whose capitulations to liberals in and out of Congress contributed to the left's cultural hegemony. Chief among WFB's Republican targets at that time was the much-revered Dwight D. Eisenhower. Even before National Review launched in November 1955, roughly midway through Ike's presidency, Buckley had begun registering his disappointment with the former Supreme Allied Commander of World War II. In some of his earliest published writing, WFB lamented that there existed between the two major parties an ephemeral battle line dividing two almost identical streams of superficial thought, that only trivia separated the 1952 Republican from the 1952 Democrat. By June 1955, in an article titled The Liberal Mind, published in Facts Forum News, Buckley was likening Ike to the sitting Soviet premier. We know more about the workings of the mind of Nikolai Bulganin than we know about the workings of the mind of Dwight Eisenhower. The life of Bulganin makes sense in a way that the life of Eisenhower does not. N.R.'s debut issue also lamented the growth of a gigantic parasitic bureaucracy. A decade later, when W.F.B. ran for mayor of New York City, the Republican target of the oppositional temperament would be John V. Lindsay. But even then, the betrayal of Eisenhower weighed heavily on Buckley, as recorded in The Unmaking of a Mayor, 1966. Even under the moderate Eisenhower, the Republican exemplar, according to the rules of prevailing opinion, the registration figures continued to polarize, as they had during the preceding two decades. Two years before the good general came into office, the national registration figures were 45% to 33% in favor of the Democrats, according to Dr. Gallup. When he left the pulpit eight years later, the infidels had in fact increased, the figures having separated to 46% Democrats and 30% Republicans. What did emerge in the post-Eisenhower years among Republicans was a hunger for orthodoxy, for an intellectual discipline in the formulation of policy. It was fueled in part by the long diet of blandness that had produced a body lacking in tone and coordination. WFB's eulogy was prepared in advance as Eisenhower lay dying. The accomplishments of Dwight Eisenhower will be copiously recorded now that he is gone, that being the tradition, and tradition being what one has come to associate with General Eisenhower, who comes to us even now as a memory out of the remote past. During his lifetime, he had his detractors. There are those who oppose Dwight Eisenhower because he was the man who defeated Adlai Stevenson. In their judgment, it was profanation for anyone to stand in the way of Adlai Stevenson. And so, when Eisenhower was inaugurated, 
They took up and forever after maintained a Jeremiad on America, the theme of which was, America is a horrible country because a banal and boring general with not an idea in his head gets to beat a scintillating intellectual who is in tune with the future. These gentry did President Eisenhower a certain amount of harm, and in later years they took to referring routinely to his tenure as boring, lacking in ideals, and stylus. Their criticisms never actually took hold. America wanted Eisenhower in preference to Stevenson, and however keenly we felt the death of Stevenson, it wasn't, speaking for the majority, because we had failed to confer the presidency upon him. Stevenson was born to be defeated for the presidency. Among the critics of Mr. Eisenhower, also from the liberal end of the world, are a few who reckoned him as quite different from what it is generally supposed that he was. There are the-